Ryan, thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to our latest National Governors Association School Leadership Hot Topics podcast. I'm Seth Gerson, Program Director for K-12 Education at NGA, and today I have the honor of interviewing nationally recognized school leadership expert, Dr. Paul Manna of the College of William & Mary on state strategies for developing and supporting principals and school leaders. Today, Dr. Manna will share his insights on how governors and states can strengthen their principal preparation, development, and support systems, including through the Every Student Succeeds Act. Please note that we recently recorded and released seven other webinars and podcasts on school leadership, including with the Education Commission of the States, New Leaders, the Learning Policy Institute, nationally recognized school leadership experts, Dr. Steve Tozer and Jackie Wilson, and Governor's Education Policy Advisors and Education State Chiefs from Delaware, Louisiana, and Tennessee. You can find these webinars and podcasts at the NGA Education webpage on the NGA website. We plan to release two more school leadership podcasts over the next month. Please look out for our next podcast with Courtney Rowland of the American Institutes of Research to be released in the coming weeks. These podcasts are supported by and in partnership with the Wallace Foundation. The Wallace Foundation works to support principal and school leader preparation, development, and support across the country. Their Wallace Knowledge Center has multiple resources, tools, and reports on state strategies for school leadership, including Wallace's new report outlining the impact of effective principal pipelines on student achievement. You can find these resources at wallacefoundation.org or through a direct link on our NGA Education webpage. With that, let's dive into the conversation with Dr. Manna. Dr. Manna, so great to have you with us today. Please tell us a little bit about your background. Sure thing, Seth, and I uh, just wanna say thanks very much for the invitation as well. I've had a lot of great interactions um, with NGA uh, over the years, so it's really fun to keep this sort of ongoing discussion, uh, conversation going with you all. So my position at William & Mary, I'm the Hyman Professor of Government and Public Policy, and I'm also what I like to um, tell people in this space is that I'm the, I'm the principal of the government department. In our, in our language, that means I'm the department chair. Uh, so I have a little bit of a, an understanding of what it's like to run an organization where you have faculty and students. Um, typically in our world, though, the disciplinary matters are more faculty related than student related. That's one um, difference. But still, um, seeing things through the eyes of that that you know program leader is something that I get to do every day in my job as department chair as well. I'll just mention a couple of other things that I also like to say um, in these kinds of discussions. A couple of things that keep this real for me as far as the topic of school leadership. One is uh, before going to graduate school uh, to become a professor, I was a high school uh, teacher for a few years. I taught social studies and coached a debate at my hometown high school in Michigan. And I love teaching, um, I love it, I still love it actually, but I just didn't love it enough to do it all day, every day for 180 days a year. So that's why I, I changed gears. Um, the other thing that keeps it real is I'm, um, I'm married to a high school teacher. My wife is a French teacher in the local schools here in uh, Williamsburg, and we have a son in the public schools here. So we have quite a few conversations um, every day about schooling and leadership and, and what schools should be doing. So those, those things help to keep my academic mind uh, grounded uh, very well, I think. Practitioners run through the family. My mom's an art teacher as well, so it's always good to hear uh, family members who are her teachers and educators. So moving a little bit into the, the research base, 
Why are principals so critical to student, teacher, and school success? How have you seen the role of the principal evolve over time? Why should governors care about or focus on principal and school leader development and support? Sure, that's a, that's a great way to launch. Let me let me break it down into the sort of the different questions that you pose there. Um, as far as why are principals critical, really, I, I, I would, there are many reasons. I would highlight a few. First is we know that principles are really important. There's a lot of research that documents this. Principles are very important for attracting, supporting, and retaining excellent teachers. So in addition to all of the important work that principals do you know, in their role as principals, one of the most important things they can do is attract, support, and retain um, excellent teachers on their staffs. And so in that way, one of the things they do is they help to multiply the effects of effective teaching, right? When, when great teachers feel like they have support from administration and they're not just battling um, constantly, they're gonna be able to be better teachers for their students. So, so that's one um, very important thing that principals are, are key for. Another one is, um, is it relates to this idea of distributed leadership, which is a term that a lot of people use in the literature and in the field nowadays. Basically, refer it refers to the idea that within schools, you have the principal as the main administrator, the main leader of the institution, but you also, um, in order for schools to be effective, you also need to have people leading all around um, school buildings. And so teachers, other staff, coaches, um, people who connect schools to communities, all um, have leadership roles to play. Um, the principal can't do it all. And so this notion of distributed leadership has become very popular. But one of the things to realize is that principals themselves are essential in constituting those leadership teams, right? Principals are the ones who are best positioned to say recruit a teacher into a leadership role or recruit a staff member onto maybe a school improvement committee or some of some of that. So um, principals, even though leadership is distributed, ultimately they are the ones who are um, key to forming those leadership teams. And as we all know, when something goes wrong at a school, uh, it's the principal that gets the phone call. So they, they clearly have that, that very unique leadership role to play. Um, and then ultimately, all of this work that principals do, there's, there's increasing evidence that students benefit. Empirical evidence shows this. Um, there's some really exciting uh, recent findings, in fact, from a detailed study of principals um, and principal support that RAND did in evaluating some work for the Wallace Foundation, um, finding that you know there are actually student effects um, when you can uh, identify and support principals in, in their work. So ultimately, this isn't just about management and administration of schools. It really does get into the classroom um, to affect uh, students. I should say also, generally speaking, we know that great leadership matters across sectors. There's a lot of evidence from not just education, but really any field, provision of social services, Homeland Security, the military, you know, you name it. Um, lots of studies in the field in the area of leadership show this. So there, it's no surprise that principals um, are, are not any different in that regard. Um, to your point about the evolution of the principalship, how has it changed over time? I think this is a really important uh, point to mention because there often is, uh, I think, a mischaracterization of how things have changed. 
A lot of people like to describe the principal's role as, as having been transformed from what it used to be. Uh, principals are no longer managers, but they are now instructional leaders. Um, and so they, people use the word transformation in this setting and in this context. But rather than a transformation, I would describe the change as a layering, really. So all those kind of traditional managerial uh, jobs still exist, right? Principals still do budgeting. They still do a lot of student discipline work. They do a lot of the basic uh, human resources functions as far as working with staff and teachers. They do, um, you know, kind of basic management functions within the building. But on top of that is all of the new stuff now, right? On, on top of that is all of the mentoring of teachers, being instructional leaders, being people to really um, work with communities for, let's say, fundraising or other kinds of things. Um, that schools are doing more and more of nowadays. So um, I would say not just uh, a transformation, but really a layering. And, and so an important point for governors and other policymakers to keep in mind is as we add new things to the principal's plate, you know, are there some things that we might consider taking off um, given that the job is so incredibly demanding? Um, and then lastly, um, just a, a quick point about governors and why they should be interested in these things. As you know, and as everybody listening knows, states make huge investments in schools, um, but we know that without competent and well-supported leaders, we won't really be able to get the most out of those investments. So states wanting to simply be good stewards of, of state dollars would think about wanting to ensure that there are great principals in schools. Another thing to think about is uh, if, if you have scarce resources, which most states do, principals are a relatively cheap date if you're thinking about a lever to improve schools, right? There are many fewer of them than there are teachers or other school staff. So if you were trying to think of some critical uh, sort of leverage points, if you could get to the leaders and help ensure that they are all effective, that's going to trickle through into other parts of schools, right? So compare a program or an effort designed to improve all principals in a state versus a program or an effort designed to improve all teachers in a state. Both of those things might be good things to do, but the, the teacher one is just going to be a lot more expensive because there are a lot more of them. So, um, that, so that's, that's one way to think about it um, as well. I think also one reason why governors and state officials should, should uh, think about these things is important is we're now in a period where there are many more opportunities for states to do uh, innovative and creative things if they want to, right? The reauthorization of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act as the Every Student Succeeds Act, for example, um, has created more space for states to do things that are creative and innovative. And so governors and their aides uh, who want to, you know, sort of push forward, there's a real opportunity to do that with the framework of the current law that we have. Thanks, Dr. Mana. And I really like your point around not just an evolution from building managers into instructional leaders, but that they're doing both. I think that's a really important aspect of the conversation and also that, that principles as this force multiplier of uh, effective teaching um, in, a, in a school. So I know you've been studying and teaching around principals and school leaders for a number of years. I want to do a little dive into your recent work on principals and school leaders. What are the implications of this work for, for governors and state policymakers? 
Yeah, so there's some some work that is um, it's launching and it's sort of uh, in uh, developing. So I'm going to ask folks to stay tuned for results. But one of the things that I'm about to um, get more deeply involved in is a project that I think would be very interesting to governors and other state policymakers, which is a project that's trying to look broadly across research during the last 10 years or so to synthesize some particular lessons for states themselves. Um, it's going to draw heavily, um, as you might expect, on a lot of previous work from the Wallace Foundation, given that they've been one of the real leading lights in this um, space for a while now. So looking across their work, looking across other work that they have inspired, and looking across some of their current initiatives that have a, have a state-level role to play, out of that, um, I'm going to try to develop what I think are some important general principles and takeaways for state folks to learn from. And this will also involve some original uh, research of my own, but it's mainly going to be drawing on and synthesizing the lessons of what these other folks have found. So I would say um, stay tuned. Um, some things are going to be rolling forward on that within the next um, year or two. And uh, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, before too long, I'll have some updates that I can share with folks. Thank you. And you mentioned the Wallace Foundation. I want to focus in on one particular report that you authored in 2015 for Wallace, uh, the Developing Excellent School Principles to Advance Teaching and Learning Considerations for State Policy. What were your primary findings in that report? What levers did you identify that governors and state policymakers can use to develop and support principals and school leaders in their state? Yeah, overall, um, there were, I would say there were three main findings in that report, Seth. And one was was sort of an accidental finding in a way. It was one of those things that you um, you come to as you get into the research. So the project originally came together around this question of, you know, what could states do if they wanted to um, help develop excellent principles to advance teaching and learning? And so I began, you know, talking with people and looking at that question sort of with an assumption that, you know, oh, there are a lot of possibilities on the table. And my job was to go out there and kind of, you know, see what people are finding most useful, most interesting, um, et cetera. But one thing that became immediately obvious to me and the research team that I was working with is that principles as a, as a topic were generally a low, uh, low agenda item across the states. Now, clearly in some places there were pockets of interest, but to say that principles themselves and the role that they play and the important things that they do, to say that that was something that animated state level policy debates about education simply wasn't really the case across the board. So, so that was really the first main finding was that this topic itself had a relatively low agenda status, you know, compared to other topics, in particular things like teachers or testing and accountability. Those things tended to gobble up a lot more attention um, than principles. And we could um, we could talk about that a little bit later if you're curious about some of the details of why, um, or people could obviously download the report and see. So that was one main finding. Um, a second sort of finding was we identified several levers that states can use to try to enhance the quality of principles in their states. And the levers, just to simply list them out really quickly, were first the lever of adopting um, leadership standards for principles, getting those into state law and regulation. Second, 
helping create policies and rules that uh, make it easy to uh, recruit talented aspiring principals into the profession. Third was the important role of approving and overseeing principal preparation programs, be they at universities or other kinds of institutions. Fourth was the state role in licensing uh, new and veteran principals, so the initial licensing process and then the re-upping of licenses that is required. Next is uh, supporting principals' growth uh, with professional development. There are things that states can do along those lines. Finally, um, the role that states play in evaluating principals. So one of, the, one of the findings, again, that we came up with in identifying and, and talking with people about these levers is that a lot of state folks didn't, weren't really aware of the full range of things that states can do to affect principals, the people who are principals and the support that they get and the, and the sort of the oversight and the training. So that was another you know, important thing that came out of this is simply identifying those levers and then thinking about what states actually can do. The third and I'd say the last main finding is that even though these levers are common across the states, how states decide to put these into place really should depend upon varying contexts within the states. So just to get, tell you what I mean by that, clearly how you do um, principal support or principal recruitment is going to vary across the state across your you know, rural, suburban, and urban settings. There are just different kinds of constraints, different kinds of possibilities um, available, for example. Additionally, even though all these levers exist, different states are gonna be at different points along these different levers. And so some states are more poised to do certain things than others, right? Um, we know from research that every state has adopted some form of standards for principals and other um, school leaders for example, but not as many are as far along on other kinds of things. And, and just to give you one example, Massachusetts has, and this is a, a, a case that we explored a little bit in the report, Massachusetts has um, pushed forward with a very innovative and interesting and, and demanding uh, approach to performance-based licensing for principals. So one of the, when, what I mean by that is, you know, in order for principals to get a license to actually be principals, this applies to new principals in the state, they have to do more than, than what is often common, which is simply log a certain number of hours and courses and then take some sort of a licensing exam. In Massachusetts, they have something called the Performance Assessment for Leaders, um, which is designed to help principals steer them as part of licensing into gaining experiences in actual things that principals do in their day-to-day -day work. It might be working with the community, that could be one um, skill area. It might be working with teachers to mentor them, that could be another skill area. And so what Massachusetts has done is it's thought of licensing, not as simply a, a set of classroom or testing hoops for principals to jump through, but they're trying to think of it as a way to create these demanding experiences that principals or aspiring principals have to have before they enter the profession. It's not foolproof and they're clearly learning um, a lot about how to do this as they go, but as a way to make licensing a more real experience for aspiring principals, this is, this is one example. And again, it takes state policy in order to create um, that kind of a system. 
Thanks, Dr. Mana, and, and I'm so glad you were able to talk about Massachusetts and their performance-based licensing system. That's the biggest question we always get from our governor's education policy advisors is who's doing this work and who's doing it well. And so uh, as we turn to broadening back out to some of the models that are being used across the country, love to talk to you a little bit about current examples of innovative university principal preparation programs that are happening across the, the country. How have you seen governors and state policymakers create the conditions for empowering higher education and districts to partner on developing and supporting effective principals and school leaders? Yeah, there are lots of, there are a variety of ways that this is happening. And there are some, some stories that suggest, you know, very multidimensional, long-term um, efforts. And there are other examples that suggest more targeted kind of specific efforts. And again, you know, reflective of context and need and the kind of momentum that states are able to generate. But um, just to give you a few examples on this, and some of these I've highlighted in some of my previous work and other, other examples have been highlighted in other research, probably one of the most well-known, at least within this field, one of the most well-known and ambitious efforts to transform principal preparation at universities comes from uh, the state of Illinois. What is, I think, really impressive about this story is it shows how leadership to develop and, and sort of really push for policy change. Um, it can come from lots of different places and it can transcend election cycles and term limited politicians and, um, and all kinds of things like that. So Illinois decided about 15 years ago or more that there was a, an important need to transform how principals were prepared in state universities. And one of the things that people noticed um, in the state was, and these, this really, a lot of this energy came from universities themselves, in particular people at Illinois State, uh, led by some, you know, sort of forward-thinking folks there. They, they noticed, you know, a need for this change, and they noticed that, you know, the state was preparing way more people to be principals than ever would be principals. And so it was a huge waste of scarce resources. So through a lot of work with advocates for change, um, with some of the traditional representatives of things like principal groups, those uh, advocacy groups that represent principals, professional associations, working with Illinois politicians and others, the state embarked on a process to basically shut down every program in the state and require them to essentially re, uh, reapply to be allowed to prepare principals. And so this shutting down and reopening of programs with a new set of expectations um, was the very ambitious effort that Illinois took upon. It was a multi-year, multi-stage process. There were a lot of convenings of relevant groups, groups that were warm to this idea, groups that were you know, really against it, um, to be honest pulled them all together to try to figure out a path forward. And, you know, we live in an age now where they managed to pull that off and the quality of the principles that are being prepared, um, the number of principles that are being prepared, definitely much more in line with the needs of the state. Um, there actually is a great book that just came out on this subject, co-edited by a team. Um, one of the leading editors is a woman named Erica Hunt, who is one of the, the, the real spark plugs and continues to be a real spark plug behind this work in Illinois. The book is called Reforming Principal Preparation at the State Level Perspectives on Policy Reform in Illinois. 
So that I think is an example of a very broad ranging effort. Other more targeted efforts um, in some states have been organized around um, the development of leadership academies. So these are sort of particular centers or programs. Um, the two I'm gonna mention here are located at universities um, in states, sort of speaking to your question about um, university participation. One is a very well-known program, given that they do uh, work as consultants and trainers with states uh, and, and school districts across the country, um, is the Delaware Academy for School Leadership, known as DASL, D-A-S-L. This is led by one of the real um, real icons in the field, Jackie Wilson, and she um, and others in Delaware, with state support, have created this real hub for improving current principals and other leaders in Delaware, but also helping to just provide great models for training that others have adopted across the country. Another example with a more particular focus is a program out of North Carolina State University called NELA, um, the Northeast Leadership Academy. Bonnie Fuzzarelli is the director of that um, program. What makes this one unique is that it is specifically designed to train principals who are serving in some of the rural counties in the northeastern part of uh, North Carolina. And so here's a case where Bonnie, who's a, who's a real leader in the field, worked with state leaders. Um, this is back, you know, 10 years ago during the race to the top policy uh, uh, era when that was uh, was coming online, worked with state leaders to help convince them that something like this could be viable, right? So there was state buy-in to this, there was state money and support from the university, obviously, given that Bonnie and other faculty there are teaching in this program, and also real partnerships with local um, districts. And so that's a program that again, it serves a particular niche, um, but a really important one in North Carolina that's need to train uh, rural principals. And then one more example I'll give you um, just to show the variety. This is not a, uh, a, a principal preparation program at a university, but it's again, it's something that states themselves can do to try to um, stoke you know, activity in this area. In Maryland, um, the Department of Education every summer hosts what is called the Promising Principals Academy. And so here again, it's a partnership with county uh, school districts in Maryland where those counties identify and put forward some of their best potential recruits into the principalship. Um, the state education agency in Maryland then runs a program and really a year long professional learning experience for those participants with the hope that someday, you know, they may indeed um, become school principals. So, Again, here's a partnership. Um, this one spearheaded by the State Education Agency. Um, some of these other examples I'm giving you were, um, you know, the, the initial leadership at least came from some other places. What all of them have in common is that they, they really are bringing together lots of different actors, um, including support from governors and governor's staff members to help, you know, advance this idea of training current principals, but also preparing the next generation of principals. Thanks, Dr. Manna, and great examples, Illinois, Delaware, North Carolina, and Maryland. And for our listeners from earlier podcasts, you can go listen to Dr. Steve Tozer um, or a little more around the Illinois story, if you're interested, and Dr. Jackie Wilson around a Delaware story as well. So a continuing conversation through these, these podcasts. 
for, for folks listening out there, these are two of the national experts on these topics. So um, these are people that policymakers across the country really are taking their cues from. So anybody interested in these kinds of matters who has an opportunity to learn from Steve or Jackie really should, um, should, should jump at the chance to do that. Thank you. Yeah, we're really hoping to get all this expertise out there. And uh, we know from knowledge building and strengthening knowledge, change occurs. So um, thank you for that, Dr. Mana. So turning a little bit to the Every Student Succeeds Act, we've heard a lot about the opportunity of ESSA and the Every Student Succeeds Act. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how states are using ESSA to develop and support principals and school leaders? How have states done so in particularly innovative ways? Sure, I think, uh, I think one thing to, to say t- about ESSA first is to step back. Part of what has happened with ESSA, I think, um, that's been an important turning point in how the law previously had been carried out, how the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which is the earlier iterations of ESSA, has, has, has unfolded, is most state policymakers, I think, and a lot of federal policymakers too, probably most federal policymakers, had very siloed thinking about the law. So the two big sections of the law where most of the money is, Title I, um, which is where the vast majority of the money is, was typically thought of as the place where you had you did school accountability, you did aid to schools to equalize opportunities for students who are disadvantaged, and, and, and clearly the law does headline those, those items um, in there. But people often didn't think about principles, um, you know, through that lens. And and people tended to think about principles through Title II of the law, which was really, you know, given the name of Title II and given the the typical functions, the people associated with it, people often thought of Title II as, oh, that's the teacher part and the principal part of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. What has happened in part because of this increasing interest in principles, more evidence coming online, the agenda status of principles starting to rise somewhat, I think, because of you know work that you're doing, Seth, and these kinds of podcasts, people are starting to see the law more holistically. And that really opens up a lot of opportunities for states who want to see principles as really central to everything that the law is trying to accomplish. And so the function of principles or supporting principles or opportunities to use principles effectively, it's not just something that lives siloed within Title II of the law. There are many, many things in Title I that are highly relevant to principles and what they um, might contribute. And so I think there's starting to be a bit of an awakening around that concept that principles really are these cross-cutting figures that are relevant to lots of different dimensions of the law and and so we should think about them that way there are uh, you know a lot of the essa implementation is really ongoing and some things are still pretty early on for many states but just to highlight a couple of examples here of ways that these silos have started to break down and the way that states have started to break down these silos Uh, One example comes from Missouri. They have used the policy planning process of ESSA to design and start to carry out something that they are calling the Missouri Leadership Development System, the MLDS. And so this is a system that is funded 
out of Title II, so the a, a good chunk of the money comes from Title II, but it's done with an eye towards the broader goals of ESSA and, and in particular some of the goals of Title I. So, so this is an effort, uh, MLDS, which will um, will help aspiring school leaders and also it'll help provide support for um, current principals and principal supervisors, you know, those folks that are important for helping to support principals in district um, central offices. So that's one illustration. Another one that also seems to me to create a lot of interesting potential is some work that's coming out of Tennessee. Tennessee used, again, used the, the opportunity of ESSA to develop what they've called um, a Leaders for Equity playbook. And so this is, was a collaborative effort um, across the state. You had the state agency involved, you had other folks at the state level involved, you had school districts involved in this effort, you had principal um, preparation institutions involved. The, the goal in creating the playbook was to develop a set of very concrete implementation steps that leaders at all levels of the state could take in order to advance the state's commitment to equity. This to me is really important um, because it headlines principles, but it also headlines other leaders, even leaders up at the state level and also other leaders at the district level like superintendents. But it highlights the very specific leadership roles and activities and implementation efforts that these different leaders can take. So it doesn't just lump them all together which I think is, is a problem in the way some um, have thought about leadership in the past. But we see these very important discrete things that each of these types of leaders, including principals, can play. And the fact that the state framed this around equity speaks to the breaking down of the, like the Title I, Title II siloing that I mentioned. And so the fact that, that the state is seeing the advancement of equity and seeing principals as a key player in helping to advance equity really provides you with a very concrete illustration of the, the merging, in a sense, the, the kind of conceptual merging of what is possible when you think about Title I and Title II working together to, uh, to reinforce one another. So, so I, think, I think those are a couple of really promising examples. The equity uh, playbook is, is downloadable as well from Tennessee. And if, and if you can't track that down, or if your listeners need to be able to track that down, I'd be glad to provide the, um, the link uh, for that. Thanks, Dr. Mana. And I think that that's a really important point that you mentioned a number of resources and listeners, we plan to include those resources tied to each podcast. So we'll certainly put up uh, the equity playbook um, as one of those resources attached to this, this podcast once we post it on the NGA website. So looking at more generally, for a governor or state interested in moving work forward on an initiative in this area, what advice would you give them prior to getting started? Yeah, I think it's always um, important to begin by taking stock of the, what I would call the comparative advantages that different leaders and different institutions within states bring to these kinds of challenges. So if we're interested in trying to improve schools, um, make sure that students are having really engaging, robust learning experiences that position them well to succeed in life. A good way to begin would be to say, okay, I'm a governor or I'm a governor's um, education assistant. What particular 
comparative advantage do I bring to that conversation, right? What kinds of things do I know? What kinds of connections do I have? What kinds of resources do, can I bring, not just financial, but political and others um, to that conversation? Recognizing that other people or other institutions are gonna bring perhaps different kinds of comparative advantages um, to those conversations. And so part of what governors and their staffs can do is to try to think about what are the things that they can do to help advance these kinds of agendas. And, and one thing that state officials will realize is if, if, if they have that kind of introspection, they'll realize that a lot of their school districts probably, especially some of the larger ones where they are, they've been working, doing this kind of work for a while now, many of their school districts may be more ahead of the state um, on some of these matters. And the state itself can really learn a lot of great lessons, right? So if I were the governor of North Carolina and I wanted to try to enhance opportunities for rural principals to, uh, to do better work, I wouldn't come to the table thinking I have all the answers. I would call Bonnie Fuzzarelli at NILA um, at NC State and get her in the room and learn from her and hear from her about what it is we could be doing and should be doing. If I were in Georgia, for example, I would call up the folks in Gwinnett County um, who've been doing this kind of leadership work, who've been doing this kind of principal pipeline, principal development work for many, many years now and get them in the room. And in fact, this is something that Georgia has done. And so Gwinnett is really a model, um, has become a model for some of the initiatives that the state is trying out. So I think that would be the, the first thing is to try to just you know have a little humility in these discussions and try to think about what it is that the governor's office and the governor's kind of panoply of resources brings to the table and see how that complements what others are already doing um, in the state. That's one thing. The second thing I would, I would encourage is to think that solutions to these challenges we're talking about could come from lots of different corners, right? They could come from traditional policymaking institutions like governor's offices, legislatures, state boards of education, but great ideas and great alliances also might emerge from sectors outside of the government. So the professional associations that represent principals, the nonprofit organizations that are interested in leadership, the business community, groups that also um, have, a, have done a lot of work and have done a lot of thinking about leadership. State level associations um, or groups that represent you know, multiple states, NGA is obviously one, Council of Chief State School Officers, those kinds of groups and groups that represent you know, particular communities across states, National Urban League, for example, other kinds of organizations. A lot of people especially from these kinds of groups, are starting to think about principles and the role they might play. And so as a governor, I would be open-minded and thinking about where my allies might, uh, might come from. Um, they might even come from some from corners of the state that a governor might consider you know, a, a political adversary. But when you actually start talking to them, you'll find that you really do agree on a lot of, on a lot of things. So I've heard Steve Tozer mention this. One of the reasons why Illinois' efforts were successful is because they knew they were trying to solve difficult problems. And so they wanted to invite everybody in lots of different perspectives in order to try to try to tackle the challenge.
Thanks, Dr. Mann. I think you're really speaking to the importance of governors using that convening power to get the right folks at the table. And so moving to a last question, where do you see the work and the field headed next? What are you most excited about? I think I would, you know, I would, I would kind of boil it down to two things. One is, it seems to me we are on the cusp, maybe, of a real awakening um, to the idea that states themselves, governors and other um, state policy leaders, can play a really important role in improving leadership in schools and, in particular, uh, improving the work that school principals do. I think for many, many decades, and if you talk to people in the field and you talk to some of these other names that have come up in the in our discussion today, one of the things that you'll hear is that for many, many years, people more or less thought of principals and the principal's role and supporting principals, recruiting principals, that that was really a local school district function, right? The states weren't really too important in, in all those activities. And so as a result, states didn't pay so much attention to it, which, which was really one of the reasons why we got that finding in the 2015 report about principals having a low agenda status um, in states. But now I, I really do think that more and more state officials are starting to think more seriously about principals and starting to think about the things that states can be doing um, again, those levers that I mentioned earlier from the from the study that um, that I did um, in 2015, people are starting to think more carefully and more creatively about those. And so, to me, that's that's really exciting. And, and as long as state leaders, I think, enter this space with some of that humility that I mentioned, thinking about what are their comparative advantages, how can these different levels of the system, state, um, but also local and national, how can they come together? to advance uh, these, these issues and to help, help principals do their jobs better. To me, that's, um, that's a real exciting potential here. I, ho I hope it, it goes down a good path. I would say the second thing I'm most excited about is it seems to be, there seems to be an improvement in the balance we have when we talk about school improvement, right? We always wanna talk about teachers because there's a lot of evidence that suggests teachers are really important. Um, there's a lot of evidence that suggests families are very important. But to those conversations, we also now have this recognition that principals are really important too. And so that's very exciting to me because now what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having conversations where we think about these really key um, leverage points within schools, families, teachers, and principals, and having those conversations simultaneously. I, I think this will go a long way towards um, coming up with real solutions that can work, that are sustainable, that don't burn out teachers and don't you know, have unreasonable expectations of families and don't have unreasonable expectations of principals. Uh, really thinking about all these different actors simultaneously rather than simply having one of them um, dominate our attention. I, I think that's really exciting. And um, there can, again, with more research and more, you know, knowledge emerging from the field, I think, I think we have the chance to, um, to go in some really great directions. Uh, I think it's a really exciting time to be interested in principles and the broader topic of leadership in schools. 
Thanks, Dr. Mana, for the great conversation and insights. Listeners, please note that all reports and resources discussed during the podcast will also be attached to the recording. Please look out for our next podcast with Courtney Rowland of the American Institutes of Research, and please visit the NGA Education webpage for this and future podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening and have a great day.